0: Sorry about that. Nothing like losing your microphone on the way up, is there? Uh, Not quite as bad as losing your voice, but maybe has the same effect as we go through. Well, Happy Easter, yeah? Isn't it again great to be able to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead? And what a great start to our service, yeah? Really got us into that mood of celebration and rejoicing and proclaiming that Christ is risen. Wow. Well, this morning, I want us to think about that passage from Luke 24. And as we read that, I wonder if you picked up on the heartburn that was there. Heartburn can be quite painful, can't it? It can be upsetting, it can be uncomfortable and downright worrying. And yet, in that reading from Luke this morning we find two people who experienced a very different kind of heartburn. In fact, it was an absolutely wonderful form of heartburn. If you've got your Bibles there, look at verse 32 where it says, Were not our hearts burning within us while Jesus was opening the Scriptures to us? And as we were talking about this during the week at home, Glennis mentioned that, As she reads this passage, she always wonders how great would it have been to have Jesus himself teaching you the scriptures. What an amazing thought. Well, as we come to this passage this morning, let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you especially for this word that we have over the Easter weekend where you have given your Son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins through his death on the cross. But then he has not only defeated sin, he has defeated death also by rising from the dead on that Sunday morning. And Father, as we come to your passage this morning, we ask you to grant us understanding through your Spirit and we pray that we will be warmed in our hearts and encouraged. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was Sunday. In fact, it was the very Sunday that Jesus had risen from the dead. And that should have been the happiest day in all of human history by far. From Genesis and the Garden of Eden right the way through to the time when Jesus will come again in all his glory and power, the day of the resurrection has to be the most positive day in human history. And yet, instead of being excited and thrilled, we find these two disciples so discouraged and so disillusioned that they're walking away. They were leaving the fellowship of God's people and they were leaving Jerusalem. For them it had been a hard and long and frustrating and discouraging weekend. Maybe they were heading to Emmaus so they could forget the whole thing. I mean, what a week. A weekend that had seen all their hopes crushed. The one they had hoped would redeem Israel, the one that they had hoped was God's Messiah, was now dead and buried, crucified by the very powers that they believed he would rescue them from. And what's more, Jesus seemed to have died without even putting up a fight. And to top it off, some of the women who went to the tomb that morning only confused things further. They told this amazing story as how when they went to the tomb, they found it empty and that there was an angel there who had told them that Jesus was alive. I mean, can you believe that? I mean, these two disciples were there when Jesus died. And when Jesus was buried, they had heard that that very morning of the empty tomb and the rumours that Jesus had risen from the dead, but they were having a hard time coming up with any logical explanation for that. So they left Jerusalem and they headed for Emmaus, about 11 kilometres away, sort of the distance between here and North Beach. And as they walked, they talked, yeah, chewing over all the events of that Passover weekend. This is something that had really hit them hard. As you read this passage, you can see their devastation. And I think all of us can feel for these disciples because we too have found ourselves in situations like that, in the depths of despair where we felt you know, maybe totally shattered and without hope. Maybe that marriage you thought would last forever has fallen apart. Or that job you loved and enjoyed so much that you thought it would set you up for your retirement, well, maybe that's now gone. Or maybe the joy of pregnancy has ended in a miscarriage. Or maybe you've been told that you have a, a terminal illness. Maybe it's just that you work long hours and you hold down maybe two or three jobs and yet you still can't seem to make ends meet. And in those times of life, the excitement that we once felt can sort of disappear, and that confidence you had in God, that can turn to doubt as you wonder whether God really cares. But then as we will see here in this passage this morning, in and through the difficulties of life, Jesus is actually walking beside us even when we don't recognise that he is. You see, the issue is never a matter of his presence, but our awareness of his presence. Well, while these two guys are walking to a mouse, Jesus himself comes and joins them, only we're told that they don't recognise him. They're kept from recognising him. And that's interesting, they're kept from recognising him. In fact, the Greek text literally says their eyes were kept from recognising them. And in the Greek text, there's a play in this passage on the word eyes and eyesight and vision and all of that. Now this, by the way, is actually the first time in Luke chapter 24 that we, the readers, get to see the risen, living, breathing Jesus. And we meet him in the most unassuming way, as Jesus himself comes up and walks alongside these two guys. The stranger asks them a question. He says, what are you discussing? Or, you know, what are you talking about? And that question stops them dead in their tracks, doesn't it? Verse 17 says, they stood still, their faces downcast. I wonder how you would react if, say, at breakfast or morning tea or at the school gate or in the, you know, uh, or in the office, how would you react if Jesus came and asked you, what are you talking about? How would you feel? Would you be happy to share what you were talking about or would you be a little bit embarrassed? Well, these disciples were rather stunned when Jesus asked them. They couldn't believe their ears. I mean, how could anyone coming from Jerusalem not know what has happened there over these past few days? And notice the touch of irony. For this man, Jesus, was the very one who had been nailed to the cross and placed in the tomb and who had risen from the dead, Oh, he knew all right, (laughs) only too well. But he asked them, what things are you discussing? And then out comes the whole story, doesn't it? The whole story comes out as they pour out their hearts to Jesus. Did you notice how they refer to Jesus as being a prophet, not the Messiah? What disappointment. Their hopes had now gone. We had hoped, they said. In fact, notice how they keep referring to Jesus in the past tense. When he died, their hopes had died with him. That's what they were talking about. That's what was on their hearts as they trudged to Emmaus. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that if I had been Jesus in this situation, after these two disciples had told me about their tragic weekend, I would have spread my arms wide and I would have said, surprise, hey, guys, it's me, Jesus. Here I am in the flesh. Don't be sad, I am alive. That would have made their day, wouldn't it? But Jesus doesn't do that. He listens to them and then he responds with a mild rebuke. He says, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Jesus asks him another question. Was it not necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things, and then enter glory. And in the Greek text, that is a question that expects a yes answer. Yes, it was necessary. I I, I've said it before, but it's interesting that in Scripture, when God asks a question, it's usually an invitation to repent. Remember, like God, when he asked Adam, who told you you were naked? Or Luke, or sorry, like when when God asked Cain, where is your brother? Or like when Jesus asked in the midst of this huge crowd, who touched me? And here in Luke 24, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Was this an invitation for them to repent of their slowness of heart and believe? Well, we're not told how they responded to that question. But then Jesus takes them on a walk. He takes them on a walk through the Old Testament scriptures as he opens their eyes to what the scriptures have to say about him, the Messiah. Maybe he began in Genesis, pointing out that the one who would crush the serpent's head was going to be Jesus. Maybe he spoke about Noah's Ark where we see what God's judgment on sin is like and how God alone provides the rescue. Maybe he pointed to the sacrificial system and showed how the Messiah would be the perfect and final offering for sin. Maybe he pointed them to the prophets that you know, prophesied about the birth of Jesus, maybe to Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9, Micah 5, verse 2? What about Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 that predict a suffering Messiah? Whatever passages Jesus referred to, the point is the same. God's plan of salvation has been the same from the beginning until the end. The death of the Messiah was not a surprise. It was always part of God's plan of redemption and new life. On the great day of Pentecost, when Peter gets up and gives that first and powerful sermon in Acts chapter 2, he confirms this by saying, This man Jesus was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead. All part of God's plan of redemption and salvation from the very beginning. And as Jesus opens up the Old Testament Scriptures, these two disciples are growing in faith. They're being moved from despair to belief. This two-hour walk will turn out to be a life-transforming experience for them. As they reflect back on this time with Jesus in verse 32, they say, were not our hearts burning within us while he opened the scriptures to us? You see, the word of God has a way of touching people's hearts, doesn't it? And they came to see that the death of Jesus was not the end of hope. It was, in fact, the means and basis of their hope and salvation. But then all good things must come to an end. They reach Emmaus, and Jesus sort of bids them farewell and goes to walk on, but they were keen to have him stay with them. In fact, verse 29 actually says they urged him strongly to stay. And he did. And he did. Wouldn't you have loved to be at that dinner table that night? Or maybe be one of the flies on the wall in the room. You know, the host prepared some food for them to eat. And it was Jesus who blessed the bread and broke it. And suddenly, everything fell into place. Something about the way Jesus broke the bread was a real eye-opener for them. Was it the particular way that he broke it? Did they see the nail prints in his hands as he broke the bread? Well, we don't know. We don't know because we're not told. But they recognised Jesus. And again, that touch of irony that as soon as their eyes are opened, poof, he disappears from their very sight. I reckon they would have been absolutely beside themselves at that point, yeah. They would have been speechless, you know, maybe open jaws, jaws that were dropping down to the ground, and yet at the same time excited and overjoyed. Notice how it's after that experience that they immediately marvel at the Scriptures. That's where verse 32 comes. We were not our hearts burning within us while he walked with us along the road and open the scriptures to us. Hey, when you can't literally see Jesus, and let's face it, that's the case for all of us, then look to the scriptures. Well, here's their heartburn yeah. Their hearts of unbelief have been transformed to hearts that have a burning desire for their risen Lord Jesus. And no longer sad, no longer tired and weary, they head off back to Jerusalem. There was no way that they could keep this great news to themselves. They had to share it with the other disciples. The women were right. Jesus is alive. And somehow, I reckon that trip back to Jerusalem was much quicker than their trip to Emmaus. I can almost see them jogging along the way. And when they got there and they walked into that room where all the other disciples were, they walked in with their great news to tell someone had beaten them to the punch. Yeah, Someone had stolen their thunder. These disciples in Jerusalem already knew because they said Jesus had appeared to Simon. But that didn't put these two disciples off. No way. They shared what had happened to them on that road to Emmaus and how Jesus had been with them and had opened up the Scriptures to them. In the very next verse, verse 36, you find that Jesus himself gate crashes their meeting. Yeah? Yeah? Wow, what a night! Jesus is risen from the dead, he is alive, he is our living hope, he has defeated the powers of sin and death once and for all, and now he's standing right there in front of them. And you sort of get the feeling that hey, they aren't going to get much sleep that night. What a buzz! The room had been filled with sadness and confusion earlier. In the day, but now it was buzzing with joy and excitement and celebration, they were full of life. What made the difference? Jesus risen from the dead. Wow! And some people would say, Oh, was it a bodily resurrection? What did he say here to them? Look at me. A spirit or a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones like I do, yeah? And he showed him the nail prints and everything else. Here in front of them is Jesus risen from the dead. Well, what can we learn from all of this? Well, firstly, we learn that the resurrection is real. Here we have the account of real eyewitnesses to the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is not a story, this is history. As that great Easter hymn says, Thine be the glory, risen, conquering Son. Endless is the victory, thou our death has won. Secondly, we see the importance of the Bible. Both the Old Testament as well as the New Testament And it shows us how the scriptures in their entirety reveal to us the whole of God's plan of salvation and what it is that God has done for us through the death and the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, we see that the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Despair is replaced by with hope, a certain and a living hope. Fear is replaced with boldness. Confusion is replaced with confidence and faith. And sorrow, well that gives way to utter joy. As we reflected on over the past few weeks, the Apostle Paul says in one Peter chapter one, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This morning, unlike these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, we have the privilege of knowing how the story ends. I suppose the question I want to leave with us this morning is simply this. Are your hearts burning within you? Has God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, opened your eyes to recognise the risen Lord Jesus? Let's pray. Our Gracious God and Father, we want to thank you again for this great news. Father, we hear it year in and year out and even through the year. But help us to have our eyes opened, not just some of the year, but all the year, to your great love for us, that love that you've demonstrated to us in the sending and the death and the resurrection of your Son. And help us to look forward to that day when he will come again in all his glory and splendour and power as King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and that time when we will be with him and with you in your glorious kingdom for all eternity. Father, we thank you, and we thank you in his name. Amen.